Welcome back to the Just for Kicks podcast. We join you on a somber occasion. We mourn the passing of the great Franz Beckenbauer, one of the most decorated German players and managers ever. He also you know, came over with the New York Cosmos and was one of those transcendent figures in an era where the beautiful game was starting to trickle in on this side of the pond. And, you know, he was in so many ways bigger than what he accomplished. Um, but I will read off a short list of what he did accomplish. He's the only defender ever to win the Blonde or twice. He would have bagged it a third time, heading up and losing to Johan Cruyff. Ever heard of him? Um, back in 1974. As a part of some historic Bayern Munich teams, he bagged three Bundesliga titles as well as three European championships. That's nothing to scoff at. And on the biggest stage of all, he's a World Cup winner for West Germany in 1974, runner-up in 1966, also brought home a European championship in 72, runner-up the following year in 76. Um, Steve, most people credit Beckenbauer for kind of being the first person to play the libero role the modern day sweeper the guy who gets stuck in and can actually control play dictate things that are happening further up the pitch while at the same time protect and provide cover for the keeper when he needs to be on an island um how much do we see that in today's game and how big of an influence was he in the sport and that sort of transformational sense and what he could bring to any 11 that he played in I don't know if he invented it, but I'd say he perfected it. Um, the role of libero, yeah, he was by all intents and purposes a defender, but he was also Germany and Bayern Munich's playmaker. Um, just a really elegant player on the ball, dribbling, passing, he had it all. But again, he played from the back line and in that way was very unique and so good at it that that position is still defined by him 40 or 50 years later. Mm-hmm. He's soccer royalty. He listed out his accomplishments. He's also got, he won a World Cup as a manager as well and is pretty well renowned as, if not the most important German player, uh, maybe ever, and was kind of the guy who dragged Bayern Munich to relevance. And we all know what that became through the next few decades. Yeah. I think he's a universally talented player. Again, could do the dirty work on the back line, but was just as effective going forward and starting attacks. Um, very universally beloved and respected, and that's hard to come by. Um, and, you know, Derek Heiser, that's, he's the king and quite literally the man for both Bayern and Germany, which is a very, very strong list. And one of the few players, I think, that even like Brazil would love to have someone like him in their lineup. Um just because he was so elegant. He was, I mean, is there any 11 he doesn't get into? Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm going with it. Is like even through history, I'm not sure there's many teams, period, and it doesn't matter by era that wouldn't figure out a way to get Beckenbauer in it. And he's one of the best of all time, not only in his position, but period, paragraph. I mean, he's a thoroughly well-rounded footballer, period. Yeah, and even to the degree that you know, the people who really were plugged in to the beautiful game when there was this, you know, brief renaissance 
you know, where you would actually walk into suburban homes in the late 70s and see New York Cosmos posters with Pele. He wasn't Pele, but, you know, he was 1B if Pele was 1A in terms of who the people really in the know were just thrilled to have in their backyard during the North American Soccer League. I mean, he he transcended the game in so many ways and was also its ambassador to the United States and really showed a dynamism that, you know, I think even was, you know, strategically even more important than, you know, Pele's insane skill that probably got a little bit more attention to the uninitiated. Yeah. And I obviously didn't get to see him play. I'm relying on highlights and whatnot here, but I have watched the 1974 World Cup final, and I thought I was going into it watching for Cruyff and total football. And in reality, I just walked away being like, wow, Beckenbauer absolutely dictated that entire game from the defense of Germany. Mm-hmm. I love that game because the whole time, like the the Dutch are like, we're just going to like teach you how to play the game. And like Beckenbauer's just like, this is cute. Like y'all do that, but like we're going to score goals and win. Yeah. And that's one of the few times I've ever like seen him play, play. Yeah. And yeah, he's just an overly impressive player. Um, Obviously an impressive individual as well. The amount of respect he has in the game is unbelievable. And I was reading Rafa Honigstein's, I guess, uh, eulogy on him today. And he was, it was very interesting because he's German, obviously. And he was kind of counting him as, the guy who showed something different as possible for a German footballer and person and the German national team is instead of being highly efficient or um, like a well-engineered team structure, like he was one of their first players to show that you could show a little flair and he had it in spades. Um, so RIP Beckenbauer, he was, he's the best. Yeah. And the thing is there's so many of these players like Beckenbauer, who you see their influence in their same country, you know, for decades to come. We see Beckenbauer's influence across the board. You know, he, you know, in many ways, there are almost a lot of Italian players, the spiritual heir to Beckenbauer, whether it's like the Benucci's of the world. You know, he really was entirely transformative and really added a new calculus to how you can actually draw up and execute a team if you have the talent to do so in the back line. That's what I'm saying. He was that talented that even every team to this day would still figure out a way to get a Beckenbauer in. Yeah, absolutely. You had to. I feel like we're doing this too much. I feel like since we started this podcast, what, a year and a half ago, we've done this several times. I know we did Pele, Bobby Moore. Yeah. Was Maradona before us? I feel like this has happened too many times. I feel like every fifth podcast we have to do one of these. Yeah, um, Maradona was before us, but um, that was an untimely one. At least he made it count at the press before uh, his passing. So um, don't want to – I say that in in honor of the late, great Diego Maradona, Um, not not to – mock what he achieved as a manager and as a player but anyways we do have some epl action this week we also have the african cup of nations where a team that if i told you if i told you they're the favorite four years ago you would have said who the hell is morocco fast forward to i think they know where morocco is 
I know, but it's like, who the hell's on Morocco? Like, who the hell's this side? Like, Morocco? Like, come on. <laughs> that makes Like, sense. come on. Like, if I was saying Ivory Coast, if I was saying Egypt, if I was even, like, throwing out, you know, like, Senegal, you'd be like, okay, like, you know, I, I know I know the players. But Morocco and what they displayed at the World Cup two years ago was just a staggering achievement. And there's no reason that that nucleus who's largely coming back shouldn't make waves again and you know i see him at plus 700 i know it's a big field but i i feel like they should have more separation from the other favorites like senegal like ivory coast like egypt like algeria um morocco's got to be the team to beat given what we've seen they can achieve given how a lot of the players on that side have actually improved and have since the World Cup, you know, had transfers to higher profile clubs where they've proven that they are exactly who we thought they were, whether it's Amrabat, whether it's Ziyech continuing um, to be stellar, whether it's Hakimi proving himself as one of the best outside backs in the world. Um I know this is like weird to say it would have been weird to say three years ago. Now it's, it's not Morocco's stacked. Yes. Morocco is stacked and they were one of the most impressive teams, probably the biggest overachiever at the world cup. Um, I think they're going to try and roll some of that into this. I'm surprised they're not a standalone favorite. Them in Senegal uh, tied, depending on where you get your odds at the top plus host Ivory coast. But mm-hmm. I tend to agree. I think this Moroccan team has very much earned that right as the favorite. And I'm excited to see them again. They were absolutely riveting, knocking down heavyweight after heavyweight in the in cutter. Yeah. Well, it's going to be a stellar tournament and it's starting on, what is it? Saturday. Yep. And we'll be seeing the entire kind of first, first cluster of action um saturday through wednesday so make sure to check out all those matches on bn sports um i think you'll be surprised by the many many familiar faces that you're now seeing in the african cup of nations and you know we've hinted at it it's going to have a tremendous impact on the domestic competitions across you know the biggest european leagues because so many players are going to be taken out of their respective clubs and playing for you know uh, their national side in the African Cup of Nations, um, we've talked about Mohamed Salah and how you know he is the most influential player on probably the biggest existential threat um, as far as teams that could take down City go. I know you are partial to Arsenal, as am I. But are there any other players that you look at this tournament and you just go, "Damn." This is really changing the complexion of this title race. Uh, from the Premier League specifically? Any league, man. So I'm obviously very excited to watch Victor Osimhen for Nigeria. Um, he is an absolute battering ram. And that's going to totally change Napoli's prospects. Which are already looking pretty dim. Yeah. This could be like, this could be... You know, he has been a shining star on a side that we knew would have a regression in, you know, a post-Spalletti era. And we knew that they were overachieving to a certain degree. But now with Napoli fading the way they are in Serie A, 
without Osimhen, this might be the difference between them making Europe and them not making Europe. Could it not? Yeah, I mean, they're in a knife fight for that fourth place now. Um, they've been sinking like a stone, and he's one of the few things keeping them up. It, it's looking pretty dire for Napoli at the moment, but their losses are gain. I'm very excited to watch Osimhen in an international tournament. Yeah, don't sleep on Nigeria. So let's uh, let's fast forward to some exciting Premier League action we have this weekend. Um, and I think we have to start with Manchester City traveling to St. James Park. Obviously, Newcastle has underachieved this season, as have Manchester City. But St. James Park has been a bit of a fortress. And City, you know, had a patchy run of form. Obviously, they just smoked the blades. They just had a successful result in the FA Cup. But on the 27th, day after Boxing Day, they were dangerously close to finishing the worst run of form in Pep Guardiola's entire history as a manager in any top-flight league. They were down 1-0 to Everton at half behind a uh, Jack Harrison goal. But, of course, they came out swinging, scored three goals. Phil Foden kicked it off, and then uh, Alvarez ended up having the game winner via penalty before they piled another one in. You see that. You see them smoke the blades. You see them continue to nice run of form in the FA Cup. But have they shaken the cobwebs completely off? Could this be a match that is a bit of a trap for City? I mean, you know, Newcastle, you know, aren't as fit as they've ever been. But St. James Park is a hard place to go into. And City hasn't done well lately even against middling competition um let alone great competition newcastle was able to produce one of the results of the season last year that 3-3 draw against them um at home i don't expect that at all i think newcastle is completely hobbled at the moment and i hate to admit this but i think that manchester city is revving up i think the cobwebs are shaken off and i think that they know it and it kind they kind of have that look to them that they smell blood and I don't know. They they have a different energy to them. Yeah. Because they know they're better than everybody else. It's just whenever the machine starts to click. And I think it I think it's happening. Jack Grealish is looking far less confused and Bernardo Silva's body language is getting much, much better. KDB's back. He played in the FA Cup. Holland is back in training. Foden is suddenly like the glue of the team. And we all know how good he can be when he's on form. Dude, if they like uh it's happening. And no they only have they only have forty points through nineteen games, but like no one punished them for what for them is a lowly start. Like no one's far enough ahead of them to feel comfortable. Man City very much knows that, and I think that they're kind of laughing at everybody for not taking advantage of the situation because it's about to get hairy. I just I feel like we all missed our chance. <laughs> like I I just I I feel like we've seen this movie and we all know how it ends. And yeah, I guess. And again, I don't I don't want to spend every week relitigating whether City's going to win the title by, you know, 10 points, 30 points, one point, or somehow choke. But I was about to say the dumbest thing ever. I was about to say, it's not over yet. Of course it's not. We're, we've played 19 matches. But I still think there's something to prove. But I don't think this is a match where, you know, we're really going to learn that much. You know, I expect probably a 2-0, 2-1 maybe 3-1 win for City. 
and I think I'll take care of business. Yeah, Newcastle's not good right now. Uh, it, this would be a really, really good result for Newcastle if they can pull it off. I think Manchester City, like I said, is revving up, and Newcastle is in a way right now. Yeah, and the odds show that. I think they're like plus 450 um, to win at home at St. James Park, and I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it, it that ain't going to happen. Um, the other big match, because... Again, we keep calling them a heaping pile of dog poo. We wouldn't say that. Yeah, we wouldn't say that. Who would we say that about? Well, we would say that about Manchester United. Um, They're playing Spurs, and this is just going to be another really important flashpoint in the season to see. Because at this point, if United gets a result against Spurs, albeit not the Spurs of the first 10 weeks, we have to lay off them for at least a couple of weeks. We have to lay off United for a minute or two. But if Tottenham does what I think they will do, which is come into Old Trafford and take care of business, beat them summarily, then I think it confirms that United is, as the kids say, at best, mid. You were asking about players who are leaving and could have a huge impact. And despite his trials in the Champions League and the current conjecture around it, Andre Onana going missing for Manchester United for AFCON is a big deal. Massive. Um, yeah, even though he hasn't looked settled, his stats are staggering. Like They have so many clean sheets. Yeah, it's, it's less me saying he's the best goalkeeper in the league, more me saying I don't know what his replacement looks like. Um I don't know. I I could see Spurs tripping up here. If they're truly title contenders, this is a place they need to be picking up points. Manchester United could get back on track here. It's it's certainly compelling. I mean, it's two of the biggest names in the league, and both of them need a win um, for different reasons. Both of them need a win bad. Yeah. I mean, United has to prove a point, and Spurs has to rescue their season. I mean, they have to prove that the first half, the first. 10 weeks, 12 weeks were an anomaly. And the reason that they've lost track were a combination of injuries and Christian Romero losing his damn mind. They're bringing in some transfers. If they can stay afloat for the next month or so with Sun and Madison out, they're bringing back Timo Werner from, uh, I think he went back to Leipzig. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so they're bringing reinforcements and it feels like they're going to go for this. Like, Dude, if they can stay afloat and then somehow catch that form that they had at the beginning of the season, like they're not dead yet. Not even close. Um, I know that they had a really bad run back there, but so- suddenly they're they're all back in it. And yeah, I, I like I said, they both need wins here for different reasons. Man, you to kind of save some respectability, Spurs to continue being considered title contenders. Yeah, and you know, it's not as a it's not a you know all or nothing situation. You know, we're heralding Postacoglu out of the gate and then laughing at him for going, you know, completely nuclear against Chelsea. But, you know, he clearly has some great ideas and seeing how he and ETH battle it out is going to be compelling. And I think it's really going to be telling in terms of each manager's stature because there there are a lot of ways that Postacoglu could totally outmanage ETH. Um, we kind of know what ETH's going to try to do, but if Bostikoglu has it in him, 
this might be really messy for the Red Devils. I mean, I think they're going to stick to the plan. I'm interested to see how they manage without Sun, but it's going to be the same old Ainge ball, I think. Like, the dude's just steadfast, and they're going to plug somebody else in there and give it a go. Um, I mean, they've been fascinating this season, but I guess that I'm just interested to see their uh, approach without Sun. But yeah, I think that Pustacoglu is, up until this point, certainly outmanaged ETH. Yeah. Live by the sword, die by the sword. And no, we're not talking about blades. Who are in last place by the sword. Yeah, last place by the sword. Another match, and we'll get to it during our betting tips, but I just I gotta point it out because I feel like I'm missing something looking at these odds. Again, Everton is down in the depths of the table by virtue of you know the financial knock not necessarily because of extremely poor play even though they wouldn't be world beaters had they not had the deduction but to see a team like Aston Villa plus money even on the road at Goodison Park against the Toffees seems a bit bizarre to me I mean Villa's proven that they can more often than not take care of a team like Everton right yeah, this one's interesting because obviously Aston Villa has been spectacular this season, but the, a lot of that has been dominating at home. They're certainly a worse team on the road, but strangely, Everton's worse at home. So yes, um, maybe that's kind of an equal drop-off for each of them, and I certainly think Aston Villa is the better team. But Everton's been providing some decent tests for folks. This should be a pretty compelling game. Yeah, I mean, I could see it being a, like a very stingy, like, 2-0, 2-1, something like that, but I don't I just I can't see Everton winning this thing. So I was really surprised by this line. And spoiler alert, it's in one of our bets of the week. So we got that. We got Chelsea Fulham. We got Burnley Luton. Um, and those are the fireworks for this weekend. Um, we also got the kickoff of the uh, Asian Cup of Nations. Is that what it's called? What's it called? The Asian Cup. Asian Cup. We'll just keep it at Asian Cup. It does include nations. It does include nations? Okay. Well, I ask you this question. And again, bizarre things tend to happen in the Asian Cup, like Qatar winning it. But you taking Japan or are you taking the field? I'll take the field. I'm kind of feeling like Japan. Japan's a, very much the favorite. I love Japan. Um, I think we've all fallen in love with Japan the last few World Cups. But if you're giving – I'll take the field. I'll take South Korea plus a little sprinkle of Australia and Iran. Yeah, but I like I like Japan. Listen, I I don't want that to get confused within the parameters of your question. I really love this Japan team. I'm excited for this. I mean, past can be prologue. The South Korea team definitely can take care of business, but I don't think that they've made a market improvement since you know Hyungman Son put them on his back and carried them to victory. And I think that Japan has just proven that they are not a team to be messed with, especially in the World Cup. I think South Korea has probably got a little bit better attack, certainly by name recognition, but I think Japan's a better team, and that's probably borne out the last couple of international tournaments they've both competed in. So, yeah, I like Japan, but I'll take the field. I think it's uh, I think it's an interesting proposition. Plus, we love the, uh, we love the Socceroos. We do, but Japan does not get flustered. No, Japan definitely does not get flustered. Japan, I mean, they, they just, they don't, I mean, if they lose a penalty shootout, it's because they missed. It's not because they choked. Like, they just, like, they're just, 
Japan is the team that in any universe, if I played this sport, I would want to play for. Obviously, I would have to be Japanese to play for the team, blah, 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 blah. But they seem like the most fun team in the universe to play for, right? Oh, yeah. I love I love Japan. They're highly technical, but they're always in it for each other um, and extremely well organized. They've, they've got it all. Yeah. I mean, it just it just the the sheer wreckage that and the teams that just they laid waste to in the uh, 2022 World Cup. Um, God, hats off. Hats off to Japan. I hope it continues. I mean, who did who did they not who did they knock out? Um I mean, they obviously, you know, uh got all, all up in top the group with Germany and Spain in it. Yeah, I mean they got all up in Germany's craw <laughs> and they uh what they do to Spain? Was that a draw or did they beat Spain? No, I think they beat Spain. I can't remember the exact circumstances. Didn't they beat Spain and Germany and like lose to like or draw like the other team in the group? I'm looking this up. And I think they drew Costa Rica, yeah. Yeah, so Japan beat Germany 2-1. Um it came from behind obviously. Um Japan beat Spain 2-1. Also came from behind in that match. And lost to Costa Rica 1-0. Lost to Costa Rica. I forgot they lost. Yeah. That was the crazy group where at some point in the day, everybody was in a different, like each team in the group on the final match day filled each of the four positions in a certain order at different times. Like it was just constantly flipping for an hour. Mm -hmm. God, that World Cup was so good. The goal differential was so wacky because Spain beat Costa Rica 7-0. Yeah. Yeah. There's a point where Costa Rica and Germany were in and dude, that was wild. Um. And then Croatia uh, semifinalists only advanced because they knocked out Japan in penalties. I like Japan. I'm taking Japan over the field. Well, according to some modeler, there's a 25% chance that they win. So, you know, there's, uh, I think you uh, probably should be taking the field by nature of that. But um, Japan, Japan is a frisky plus 225. To win this, hmm? I can think of worse places to put your money. South Korea plus four fifty, plus four fifty. South Korea, the Socceroos at plus six fifty. Then Iran, seven hundred. I say, I, I say, sprinkle, sprinkle the Socceroos just for fun, and uh, bet the house on Japan. But that's just me. That's just me. You, you like those? You like that value for South Korea? Four fifty. <laughs> Or does that seem about right? Oh, it seems all seems fair. I probably like Japan at the odds, but yeah. You, you asked me earlier if I'm taking the field. I'm taking the field, but I'll take the favorite if I'm putting down a singular bet. Um, and hopefully they get a bad result out of the gate. So then that balloons up and then you can just pounce on it. So that'll be a heck of a tournament. But we also have to turn our attention to some transfer news before we get to our bets game of hacks and what we're watching um what's the latest and greatest real news and what's the wildest thing you've read on the tabloids i mean i know we've already touched on timo or verner it's verner right verner yes um he is probably getting joined in 
North London at Spurs by Radu Dragasin from Genoa. So they're reinforcing that back line. The real news so far, though, has come in MLS, I'd say. A um, couple of MLS U.S. men's national team players going to Liga Mekis. Really? Which I found very interesting. Cade Cowell going to Chivas. And if I remember correctly, Brandon Vasquez. Um, but What's his reception going to be at Chivas? Oh, I have no idea. But I will be watching. Liga Mekis kicks off this weekend. And I'm going to try and find that somewhere. Um, Zach Steffen's coming back to play for the Colorado Rapids. Uh, hopefully that, I don't know, his ship might have sailed, but at least get some game time going into the World Cup cycle. And I think a couple other U.S. men's national team players have transferred in. And mm-hmm. um, Yeah, that, I, th- I think that has been mostly that and then rumors across the pond. But I think that Europe will probably start making moves pretty soon. Everybody's coming out of the winter break, maybe see what they got for a week or two and then make a final push. That's how this normally goes. Um, you don't see any type of Fernando Torres type moves materializing over the next few weeks? Oh, I don't know. I, I mean, I hope so. We all hope so. I I try not to do transfers until it's concrete, but, and January can be a little bit dull, but somebody's going to have to make a move. Um, I think everybody's this race in England is incredibly tight. Bayer Leverkusen and Bayer Munich are both battling it out in uh, Germany. Real Madrid and Girona. Yeah. Maybe they've got a little move in their pocket. I don't know. Barcelona probably needs to do something if they want to compete on any of these tournaments. But Barca's hamstrung monetarily, aren't they? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, they're selling their own body by the pound at this point, right? (laughs) To say the least. Yeah, I have no idea how that's even functional at this point. I mean, Girona, I mean, you're looking at the city group and... In terms of financial fair play, you have to think they've balanced the books in terms of the talent they're putting on the pitch at Girona. Why not splash the cash and really, really make things tight for Real? Yeah, I'd love to see that. I'd be thinking about it. I mean, I know they got Jude Bellingham, but you know, all teams, all teams, at some point, um, do drop points. And if sure, I mean. How shocked would you be if Girona won La Liga? I mean, at this point, at this point, like... I'll give like a 10% chance. I'd pick him over Barca. I'd pick him over Atleti. You give him a 10? I'll go I'll go 20. I'll go 20. I'll go 23. I'll go 23% chance. Okay. Sure. Because they don't have to play in, they don't have to play in Europe. Sure. Uh, yeah, that's, that's their big um, benefit right now. Fortunately, they're going against... Real Madrid, who is as accustomed to playing on multiple tournaments as anybody and has a squad that knows how to do it. But um, yeah, I think that Girona's got a singular focus is definitely to their benefit. I mean, they're they're more than capable. They've shown that through 19 games. Yeah, more than capable. I will not be surprised at this point if they finish ahead of Barcelona. Oh, I would be surprised if they didn't at this point. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of there with you. They are self-actualized and they're getting better. Yeah, exactly. We thought we thought the beginning was cute, and then we thought it was people not having enough experience to figure them out. It ain't either of those. They're good, and that's a strong system. True. And I don't know what's going to slow them down. Don't want to bet on anyone against Real Madrid and La Liga, especially when they're 
level on points, but they got as good a chance as anybody any season. Plus, Real Madrid and, like you were saying, they're in multiple competitions. They're at the Super Cup in Saudi Arabia this weekend. Girona's playing at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a chance to go top of the table, and then suddenly the pressure's on Real Madrid. These things can get finicky, man. These things can get finicky, and I think the edge, even though they are in Europe, will go to Real because of just the insane depth that they have, just like the veterans that they can bring on who are not scared of anything and at this point have nothing to lose in their careers. Um like when you see like Cruz and Modric like on the bench, you're just like, oh, okay, <laughs> okay, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, good luck solving that. But yeah, I, uh, I think everybody should be very, very afraid of Girona in La Liga if they aren't already, including Carlo Ancelotti and Real Madrid. So we have an abbreviated set of fixtures this week in the English Premier League, but we will continue and forge ahead with our latest stab at hacks. Um, are we level now? You bested me in the Wolves duel, right? Or what happened? Did you take the lead? No, I tied it with Mateus Cunha. Then Gabby Jesus got the lead for you the week after. It's currently 5-4. to four. Um, We both got goose eggs with Newcastle players the last double game week. Oh, man. I forgot that Gabby Jesus scored for me. How did that happen? I don't know Arsenal as well as you do. Listener, he did not forget. This is the second week in a row he has said he forgot, but he did not forget. (laughs) So I have to go ahead and pick first, right? Yes. So short game week, abbreviated fixtures. Um, Not a lot to pick from here. But I do think, given the type of match that we're going to see unfolding, and it's not going to be a high-scoring affair, but I like Leon Bailey to be the beneficiary of the type of match that's going to be played when Villa travel to Goodison Park and play Everton. That's Jim Tarkovsky's side of the field now. Yeah, it is. We love Tark. And even though he's a fantasy Premier League stud, I think Leon the professional is going to take care of business. I'm going to do something similarly down the leaderboard. Um, you going McGinn? No, I'm <laughs> going to take a winger as well. I'm going on the previous team theory. I'm taking William to score for Fulham. Ooh. Goal against former team. He was pretty frisky against Arsenal. I don't know if that was a unique motivation. Maybe he'll have it again against Chelsea, but old club theory. Dude, it, it happens all the time. I mean, it's not the craziest thing on the planet. There's probably better options out there, but I'm feeling a little superstitious. Eh, is it really superstition at this point? Good point. I mean, it happens. Moving along to our bets of the week. Steve, correct me if you don't like any of these, but I love Tottenham plus 205 at Old Trafford. I just think that's far too high. I think there's a lot of value there. It may end up a draw. I don't see United winning that match. I like Spurs to win it. And if you can get those odds plus 205, I would ride Spurs to the bank. I also love Villa, like I said earlier, on the road also at Goodison Park. That's, again, plus money, plus 145. Villa, again, as Steve pointed out earlier in the pod, not a great road team. Conversely, Everton. Not a great home team. I like Villa, plus 145. And also, the value bet of the week, Fulham, 
playing in the London Derby against Chelsea. It's at Stamford Bridge, but Chelsea's had a precipitous drop in form. They've been good at home, but they haven't been great. Fulham at full strength is a force to be reckoned with. I love the Chelsea-Fulham tie that is plus 333. Steve, what did I miss? Which one of those aren't going to hit? A little sneaky sprinkle I like. Can I do a bonus? Yeah, you can do as many bonuses as you want. We've been taking these relegation candidates in the overs because they all allow so many shots on goal, and the Burnley-Luton over on Friday is available. Yes. Um, I I love those. Yeah. It, I, f- I feel like you get a little bit of value because everybody thinks that these teams can't score, but they can against each other. Yes, they most certainly can. So for those keeping score at home, that's Tottenham plus 205 at Old Trafford facing the not-so-mighty Red Devils. Aston Villa on the road at Goodison Park, plus 145, taking on Everton. And Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, facing off with Fulham. Steve thinks uh, Willem's going to score against his former club. I can't disagree, even though I hope that doesn't materialize for my own sake. And you can get that tie at plus 333. Um, we got some standard issue Peacock opportunities this weekend you can watch newcastle manchester city saturday january 13th at 12 30 eastern and then on sunday you can watch man U take on tottenham at 11 30 a.m eastern that's also on peacock um anything else you're gonna be watching this weekend yeah short epl slate perfect chance to watch some afcon and asian cup get going um but also going to take a peek into spain for the real sociedad athletic bilbao match on saturday and then in italy ac milan versus uh roma on sunday i think it's a good time to watch some non-english games this weekend Ooh, that is a cheeky one make sure to make good use of your paramount plus subscription because there have been some good action in syria this year Paramount Plus, also the home of the Asian Cup, so you can double dip there. Yeah, double dip there, and make sure you get BN Sports so you can check out all the AFCON action, because it is going to be radical. Um, So explain this to me, because I'm sure our listeners are curious as well. Uh, Australia, AFCON, shoot. Is this a new thing? What What's going on here? Australia and Asia, you mean? Yeah. Australia used to be a part of the Oceania Confederation up until a couple of cycles ago. I can't remember exactly. I think before Russia 2018, they switched. Um, if I remember correctly, the motivation behind that was to be a part of these Asian Cups and have a little bit more consistent high-ranking opposition. So they find themselves right where they intended to be. I think this will be their second Asian Cup, but don't quote me on that. Okay, because I uh, I don't remember them being lifers in this tournament, so I was just wondering how that came to pass. Also, famously, their own continent, and if that was confusing you, I understand. Not you. <laughs> the collective you. Wait, so is New Zealand? No, that's where it gets very interesting, is that New Zealand stuck around, which makes it even far more inter- interesting to me. Um, there are no rules anymore, Joey. There have never. <laughs> Spain and Italy are playing their Super Cups in Saudi Arabia in the middle of the season. So, yeah, we're just 
rolling the bingo ball and seeing what comes out at this point. I'm not touching that one with the 10 foot pole. Um, before we go, any brain busters for the kids? Jose Mourinho got a red card this weekend against Atalanta. Yes. That puts him at the top yes. of the leaderboard for Serie A, including players. No way. No way. What did he do? A leaderboard that he led last year as well. Um, so he could be the leading Serie A red card getter. <laughs> what did he do? Uh, this one was just for dissent. We didn't really get to see it. I think he said something to the fourth official that didn't get picked up. I remember his like last match. It might not have been his last match at Real, but it was one of his last matches. They were about to. It was Sir Alex's last season. They're playing in the Champions League, and out of sign of respect, uh, Jose um, walked down the tunnel and didn't want to be there. Like you know, you know, clapping his hands off as Sir Alex exited. And I just remember assuming that he got a red card, and I was like, "What did he do?" I was like, what did he do with Real up in like the 93rd minute about to win a tie? Like, what was he bitching about? But like, that's just Mourinho, man. Oh, yeah, it's totally par for the course. <laughs> but um, to finish on a high note, it, also in Italy, I saw him, re- I saw this for the first time this weekend. I don't know if people online have been doing this, but I saw Weston McKinney, uh, the Juve midfielder, referred to as spaghetti weston <laughs> it's like my favorite nickname. spaghetti weston yeah it's like my favorite nickname it's my favorite nickname now i might name my child weston so i can call it spaghetti weston for its first like five years of life yeah how good is that and he's kind of famous for these videos with like the uva social medias and whatnot he speaks amazing italian but he always has these extremely american takes where he like wants chicken in his pesto and puts ketchup on things uh very famous for putting ranch on his pizza which made giorgio chiellini about have a conniption but spaghetti weston is officially my favorite nickname in american soccer so how did how did chiellini have a conniption like what was his what is he doing now because he just retired from um yeah retired from lafc right is he like a manager over there what was he in what context were they interacting oh no this is when they were teammates at uva this was this is a while back oh and i can't tell which of it by weston is a bit like i think that sometimes he's just trying to get a rise out of the italians because we all know how um intense they can feel about their food choices but some of it's definitely authentic and americanized we also know how intense weston can be about everything yeah. On a scale of zero to uh, dust, he's like a solid six. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, never been a fan of ranch on my pizza. Have you? No, I I, I would never. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know people that are respectable that do that, but like, I don't get it. I'm a, I'm a teetotaler on that. Yeah. I just, I don't know why you're compromising something that is fundamentally good and it's not like it zhuzhes up bad pizza so i I don't get it my pizza take i I think ranch is a disaster but i've come around on the pineapple on pizza because i had a pizza that had pineapple you're one of those guys now hold on hold on it wasn't just like this regular old pineapple and ham situation it was pineapple it wasn't like pizza it wasn't like from pizza hut where like the pineapples just like arbitrarily like these weird chunks that are on there like you go over to a friend's house in like elementary school and they're like yeah we get pineapple on our pizza from Domino's," and you're like why exactly it's a far more subtle take than that it was smaller chunks of pineapple it was not the star of the show because it is very overwhelming and it was littered with raw red onions and jalapenos Ooh, a little spicy sweet action was amazing that does seem like it would be a nice offset yeah so maybe only half of italy hates me 
so it's just like a standard margarita pizza and then you got a little like onion you got a little pineapple and it's just doing its thing and you got to get the jalapenos it's a spicy sweet that that changed my mind i love jalapenos i'm a jalapenos and olives guy <laughs> how do the italians feel about jalapenos uh great question i have no i don't know if i've ever had jalapeno in italian food have i jalapeno poppers baby <laughs> yeah jalapeno poppers um and extreme fajitas um you've had jalapenos on pizza though right oh yeah yeah yeah. i i meant like a pasta dish or something of the sort pepperoni jalapeno is like my favorite combination yeah i go pepperoni uh jalapeno and then sometimes olives depending on the quality of the za um pache up in uh I, we we've been there uh up in um laurel canyon does a mean pizza that includes that combination I recommend it to everybody in Los Angeles and everybody that will visit Los Angeles and, well, everybody in the known universe, even the fictional people that we've only encountered in Starfield. So beyond that, um, this has been the Just for Kicks podcast. Uh, Steve, anything anything else to add? We didn't, we didn't do anything holiday-related because we took a break. So any airing of grievances, any Festivusian takes, um, Anything that uh, jumped off the screen at you during during the packed fixtures that were uh, Boxing Day through New Year's Day? Uh, Patrick Bamford's goal might displace Garnacho. Check it out. Yeah, that was pretty rad. I'm sure you can find that on the TikTok machine or anything else like that. So thanks again for listening to the Just for Kicks podcast. You can check us out on Twitter. Or conversely, it is now seemingly known as X. Um, a little birdie just told me that. Um, where we are, Just for Kicks FC. Make sure to check us out on Instagram, the Just for Kicks podcast. You can check us out on TikTok, Just for Kicks podcast. And if you don't want to go to Apple, if you don't want to go to Spotify, if you don't want to go to any of the other beautiful places where you can find other great podcast content, you can go to justforkicks.soccer. Check out all our episodes. It's been a wonderful evening. Thank you for joining me, Mr. Pearson. Good night and good luck.